Good morning, Portland Community Church family, and welcome here to our service, whether you're here at the church or you are joining us online this morning. So this morning, we actually have the great privilege of having Bill McLeod here to speak for us. He was the missions pastor at Greater Portland Bible Church when I was actually a kid. My parents were going there for a time, so I'm really excited to have Bill preach for you all. He is the executive director of Mission Connection, which is a local missions conference that connects missionaries and different missionary organizations to further the kingdom of God here and around the world. So go ahead and please welcome Bill McLeod. I am so glad he is here to preach for you all this morning. Well, good morning. Hey, didn't we wake up to a great day today? I think this, uh, the uh, smoke is gone. At least it was kind of clear this morning. And uh, boy, I've never been here. This is a beautiful building. And uh, the first service was awesome. Uh, worship team was wonderful. And Debbie, thanks for that great word, patience. <laughs> Something I don't want to be reminded of. And uh, But hey, it's great to be here. And I'm glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, Ron Kincaid has been a friend for many years, and uh, this is his pulpit, and I'm uh, honored to be uh, able to fill in for Chris. Uh, I don't remember Chris when he was at our church, but I definitely remember his folks. And uh, I just got to say, he is an amazing guy. The way he helped me to, you know, to be prepared to come today was really over and above. I just want to put that in. I'm sure all the staff members are like that, but Chris really was a, was a blessing to work with. And, you know, I'm sorry to be here on the occasion of his wife's grandmother's passing, but glad to, uh, glad to help out, glad to be here. <clears throat> now, I understand that you recently heard from a mutual friend of ours, uh, Tom Hauser, with People International. Is that right? So Tom and I have been friends for many years, and uh, in fact, uh, I have been on the, the People International U.S. board with Tom since 1998. And so, uh, you know, I just want to say as a board member for People International, thank you for uh, supporting Tom. I know he was on staff for a while, but thank you for the financial support, the prayer support that you give Tom and People International. We really appreciate it. He's a great leader. Uh, I'm privileged to serve uh, on that board and uh, follow his lead on so many things. Uh, So thank you. As Chris said, I serve as the uh, founder, executive director of Mission Connection, which we uh, started with a lot of help from the Lord and friends 20 years ago. It's hard to believe that. Um, And it's our desire as uh, Mission Connection's uh, kind of uh, mission statement is to connect churches and individuals to mission, to mission opportunities, so that more workers can be raised up through the local churches to uh, go to the places that are least served by the gospel, where the, where the opportunity is the greatest for the gospel. And so uh, when Chris contacted me and asked me to fill in for him and shared how the church really would like to have a greater outreach vision, well, he had my attention. So uh, I'm, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be here. Um, we'll be in Mark chapter 6 today, and uh, 33 through uh, 44 and the feeding of the 5,000. Now, because Pastor Ron is your pastor, he's solid in the word, um, you probably know that this feeding the 5,000 is uh, really the only miracle in the New Testament besides the resurrection that is described by all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, you know, I kind of believe that Jesus wants us to take special notice of something so awesome so grand, like the Grand Canyon, 
that it takes four different views to even begin to capture it all. If Jesus is going to transform our world through us, we have to learn how to partner with him and with each other um, so that really it's his power, not our strength, but his power, mostly through our weakness that can be seen and can be demonstrated. So how he partners with us, I'm calling this message, even though it's the power of partnership, I'm really calling it, you want me? Wait, what? <laughs> so I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 6, 31 through 44, but would you pray with me before we read the word? Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for their uh, vibrant worship and uh, just the warmth of the people uh, that I've met. Thank you for this tech team, all the volunteers that are serving this weekend uh, as uh, pastoral staff as a way. Uh, I just thank you for uh, this opportunity to be together, to worship freely and uh, to, to just enjoy each other's company and to hear from you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts uh, as we go through this passage this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So this passage says this, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus says to them, Come with me. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Kind of like, let's go on a retreat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot. And they actually got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and he saw uh, the large crowd, he had compassion on them, which you would expect, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples, they come to him and they say, uh, you know, this is a remote place, um, it's already late, send the people away so that they can uh, go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The first thing that we learn about partnership is that conditions are never ideal. Conditions are never ideal. It's too many people, no time to eat, it's late, it's very late. They're in a remote location. Um, you know, the disciples want to send them away to eat. I don't know, I'm sure they were thinking there must be a 7-Eleven somewhere out here in the darkness. Jesus' compassion actually leads him to action. Even though the conditions stayed the same, he was focused, wasn't he? His compassion led him to teach them. He knew that they needed, he probably knew that they needed something more than food. He needed, they needed direction. They were like sheep without a shepherd, he said. Have you ever noticed in your own life how often Jesus shows up and does his best work when you're tired and distracted by life? Ever, ever noticed that? I think he does that to kind of catch us unawares, to see what the real unfiltered condition of our heart is. That's why I appreciated your comment about uh, patience. Like, we all have had an op a lot of opportunities to be tested in, in our patience. But I think he wants us to see, are we going to react out of the flesh? Are we going to respond to the Spirit and what the Spirit of God is saying to us? Maybe you're here this morning, you've desired to do more for the Lord. 
maybe the conditions, your work, your family, your finances, your health, well, they're just not cooperating. Well, I get it. In 1994, I remember I was working part-time uh, as in missions at our local church. I was also directing the first Promise Keepers uh, event here in the Northwest. And uh, the elders approached me and they said, um, we'd like you to go full-time as missions pastor. At the time, I had a lot going on and conditions really weren't that ideal. But I got away, kind of like Jesus wanted his disciples to do. I got away to pray and fast and ask the Lord what his will was. What did he want me to do? I had two opportunities in front of me. And the Lord gave me a vision. Now, I'm not given to visions that much, but the Lord gave me a vision, kind of a picture of what would eventually become Mission Connection, the ministry I lead today. So that kind of that vision gave me the green light to say, no thank you to promise keepers and to say, thank you very much. I'll accept your invitation to the elders and come on as full-time missions pastor. My conditions did not change, but my perspective on the conditions did. Difficult circumstances can often put us, like the disciples, in a position to begin to get a perspective on reality, especially when we get away and we rest and we seek his face. You want me? Wait, what? Well, the drama continues. Jesus answers them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that, that would take uh, you know, more than half a year's wages. Uh, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Like, Lord, give us something. We don't get it. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and figure it out. Go and see. Well, when they found out, they said, uh, five loaves and two fish. And, of course, by the way, if it hadn't been for that little kid, they wouldn't have been able to say that. <laughs> Pretty funny. The second thing we learn about partnership from this passage is that Jesus always asked the impossible. He always asked the impossible. You know, it's bad enough we're tired. It's late. Now he's asking the impossible. That's not right. He says, you give them something to eat. You know, it almost sounds like, if we didn't know who Jesus was, it almost sounds like something an exasperated parent would say. Oh, yeah, you want food. You go get your own food. That's a sarcastic kind of way to look at it. The thing that's kind of interesting is that, do you ever notice when Jesus asks us something, it's always personal and direct. You never have to worry about, ah, this mystical thing. What is God saying? No, he says, get them something to eat. You, get them something to eat. Kind of makes it awkward because he knows us so well. And he asks very directly and very personally. I'm sure each one of those disciples felt that ask personally. Notice he doesn't say, let's talk about it. Hey, gents, let's evaluate our options. Eh, Jesus doesn't do that. Very simple. You do this. Jesus' response to the crowd was heavenly compassion. And so he begins teaching. I can just imagine, you know, the disciples might have been there. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, he gets to do what he does. 
He just has to teach. That's his gift. Makes us do the dirty work. How are we going to do this? Notice the disciples' response has more to do with them. Not the situation. Not the need of the people. They're worried about earthly logistics, like cost, which was exorbitant, what he was asking, and time. It was already late. You know, the lights didn't come on in the Middle East 2,000 years ago when the sun went down. Imagine, you're them, you're thinking, oh yeah, now I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to feed these people in the dark. Jesus asked them to assess what they already have, not what they think that they should have. What do you have? Uh, five loaves, two fish. And they come back with that verdict, five loaves and two fish. You know, we call this the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But keep in mind that the way they counted back then, in this passage and other passages, they're just counting the men in the crowd. That was the, the culture. They weren't counting all these people. They were counting the men in the culture. There probably was more like 20,000 people in the crowd, men, women, and children. So picture the Moda Center. Have any of you ever been to a Blazers game at the Moda Center? Okay. Oh, great. One person. Yeah, we don't like those Blazers. Yeah. You know, when the center is packed for a full game and it's configured for basketball, it will actually hold 19,393 spectators. Now, picture you're walking into the Moda Center. You've got Jesus with you. And he says, hey, I want you to feed all these people. What? It's a big NBA game. And you're walking in with Jesus. Why couldn't he just enjoy the game? No, I want you to feed all these people, 20,000 people. And all you've got is fast food. And then he asks you, what do you have? And you go, uh, I got five buns and two hot dogs. That's all I've got. You know, 5,000 mouths to feed was already impossible. But when basically he was saying, I want you to feed 20,000. Well, that ask was just simply ridiculous. I mean, let's face it, 5,000 was ridiculous, but 20,000? Now, like, you're, like, are you really that mad at us, Jesus? Why are you even saying this? But let me ask you a question. What is the miraculous part of the story? Is it that there were so many people and so little food, or... Is it that Jesus asked the disciples to feed all the people? I think if you're the disciples, you're saying, uh, yeah, that's the incredible thing. Jesus asked us, 12 of us, with no food, no resources, to feed 20,000. You know, I think Jesus asks the impossible of us if we're willing. If we're not willing, we probably won't hear him. But if we're saying, Lord, I want to be used of you somehow. And then we, we pray that, and all of a sudden, he asks us something that seems impossible to us. I think he does that because he wants us to realize that we cannot do it in our own power. 
Maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now. Maybe he's been speaking to you for a while about something he wants you to do. Maybe in the church, in the community, whatever. And you're thinking to yourself, you're not even telling your spouse. You're not telling anybody. But that's, that small voice inside of you is, is saying some things. And you're saying to yourself, wait a minute. Seriously, you want me? Wait, what? Really? In the spring of 2001, after we'd seen the Lord put together so many relationships around the city, I asked Luis Palau if he would help me gather the pastors of the city together so I could share this Mission Connection vision with them at a luncheon. Now, luncheon was scheduled for mid-November, and then the actual event, Mission Connection Northwest, was going to happen two weeks later uh, in January, middle of January. Of course, he wholeheartedly agreed, and that was in the spring of uh, 2001. Well, then, as you remember, September 11th took place. We already had a soft economy, if you remember, and uh, many were no longer able to give out of their abundance. Missions giving had really dried up at our church. And the night before this big luncheon, I had my missions committee with me and in my office, and we were actually having a discussion we'd never had before, and that was, you know, if the, if the giving doesn't increase, what missionaries are we going to pull off the field? It was awful. I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is like you wake up in the middle of the night and your house is on fire. And because of where the fire is, you can't go to where your kids are. You have to make a decision. Which kids are you going to save? I mean, that's what it felt like. Well, we didn't come to any conclusion. The missions committee left. I was by myself in my office. And, uh, you know, we prayed and we come to no conclusion. When they left... I sensed this dark cloud coming over me. Now, this is right before the luncheon. I felt almost like a voice was hissing, sneering at me, and saying, you can't even manage your own ministry. You can't even handle the little piddly ministry that you've got, and tomorrow you want to present something citywide in nature? Oh, you're going to fail. You're going down because you're an idiot. Anybody ever felt that voice come over you when you're trying to do the right thing, trying to do what the Lord wants you to do? Yeah. It says, you're going down because you're an idiot, and tomorrow everybody in the city is going to see what an idiot you are, and they're going to laugh at you. You're going to be the laughing stock of the whole city. And you're going in big because it's going to be all the leaders. I mean, they don't know who you are. They're only there because Luis Palau's there, but they're going to see what an idiot you are. I thought I'd woken up to a nightmare, and I was overwhelmed with doubt, believing the lie. But then, you know, I kind of remembered how many years a handful of us had been praying about this moment. I remembered the vision the Lord had given me in 1994, very clearly given me didn't come from me. It was from the Lord. And when I'd gotten away to pray, I remembered how much the pastor and the elders of my church wholeheartedly backed me. Our pastor said, Bill, this is an extension of your missions ministry here at our church. Of course we'll back you up. That's why we hired you. 
So I, I, I was in a great place. Then something unusual happened that came from, again, outside of myself. It didn't come from my heart. I was troubled. But suddenly, welling up inside of me, I felt a new powerful energy just surge in me. And with conviction, I heard myself saying, bring it on. Bring it. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what I look like. I'm not in this because I'm trying to look good. I'm in this because the Lord has given me a vision, and I'm moving with it. I don't care if people laugh at me and think I'm crazy. I'd rather go down in flames over something that is ultimately going to succeed, in other words, the gospel, than shrink back because of fear that I might look bad. You know, Jesus is going to take his gospel forward. He prefers to work through us. But if we resist or if we're afraid or we think that something's not going to work and we hold back, he just moves on to the next person who's willing to look to him and trust him. I think when Jesus wants to use us and we're willing, he always asks the impossible. And I think it's reasonable that some of us say, you want me? Wait, what? You don't have to have a Bible college or seminary degree to lead a Bible study. In fact, sometimes that kind of training hinders the natural person from just being themselves and reading the Scriptures and letting the Scriptures speak. You don't have to have special, uh, you know, special anointing. I tell you, when I, I couldn't find this building today, and, uh, but I sure saw the sign across the street. And I thought... Oh, this is awesome. I said, I wonder how many people in the church have just gone over there and said, hey, come to our church. We'd love to have you. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? If I don't know who they are. You just go over and say, please, don't talk about the sign. Just talk about Jesus. <laughs> it's so awesome. He is the reason why we have breath. That's, that's what I thought of anyhow when I finally found the place. Then I had to go through a long driveway to finally see where the building was. I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Anyhow, the drama continues. Then Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he breaks the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And if you count all the other folks with them, I'm sure the men didn't hoard the food to themselves, right? I'm sure they distributed to the women and children. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? You start with five loaves, right? You're breaking up the loaves, and maybe you've got like this much, and you're handing it. And somehow, as the disciples are passing it out, the disciples are multiplying this, uh, this process. It, it would have been amazing to watch. Well, conditions may not have been ideal. Jesus may have been, from their limited perspective, asking the impossible. But when Jesus began to direct them, they obeyed. 
because they obeyed and decided to go his way and not their own, they had the people sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And I like that it says in the green grass. I mean, they could have said they sat down in the grass, but they said they sat down in the green grass. Kind of reminded me of Psalm 23 where it says, uh, you know, green pastures. I think when we, you know, get tired of doing our own thing and we say, Lord, just help me. You know, I want to go your way. It's amazing how many times we have this sense. The conditions might not change, but we have this sense of, wow, I feel like I'm in a lush setting. I just feel like the presence of the Lord is with me. You know, interesting that Jesus, um, he was organized, and he definitely had logistics in mind, you know, 50s, 100s, sit down in the green grass. But it was just kind of different logistics and different organizations that they had in their mind. A few observations. I like the fact that he used only the resources that were available, five loaves and two fish. I think the Lord wants us to do the same thing. I just want you for who you are. Are you a faithful person? Yeah, that's the kind of person the Lord's looking for. He gave thanks to God publicly, looking up to heaven to the origin of the provision. He he didn't want people to look at him, even though he was doing the miracle. He gave thanks, and he looked up to heaven. Kind of reminded me of, um, I was just reading the book of Daniel the other day. Do you remember when uh, Nebuchadnezzar asked his uh, wise men, uh, he'd had this terrible dream, and it was troubling him, and he asked his wise men to, to give them the dream and the interpretation. Now, I think he, it's, it's probably that he forgot what the dream was, but he was troubled. He was troubled, you know, for days. So he asked the wise men, give me the dream and the interpretation. Somehow Daniel didn't, or, uh, Daniel didn't get the, uh, the memo because uh, he heard about it, and I like that he went to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, I will give you the dream, its interpretation. And he didn't have it at that time, but he had confidence in the Lord, and he said, I will do it. Now, when he came back a few days later and he gave the dream and the interpretation, he said this with such confidence. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to me. I want you to know that this is not Daniel speaking. I'm sharing Because you need to know that there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. When Jesus gave thanks for the bread and the fish and the the provision, he was thanking God. He was doing the same thing that Daniel had done many years before. He was saying, folks, this isn't from me. There is a God in heaven that provides for you. There's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven that loves you and wants you to follow him and obey him. He breaks the bread and he initiates the process that I call divine division and multiplication. Do you ever notice when you get more people to help you and you divide the work up, you multiply the workers, you actually can multiply the ministry. This is great today. There's a whole volunteer staff working today. And uh, everything is going perfectly because we divided the work and now we're multiplying the workers and the ministry is able to take place. He gives the disciples the opportunity to continue that multiplication process. They're actually feeding 
the 5,000. Next, he divides up the two fish, and the disciples continue distributing. And it says, everyone ate and was full. You know, I think when they came, the crowd, they weren't expecting, to, you know, uh, dinner and a movie. I mean, they were coming just to hear Jesus, right? Jesus said, you feed them. I don't think that they were expecting that. I think it was enough for them to go out into the wilderness and, you know, hear him teach. But nonetheless, they ate and they were full. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers picked up by the disciples. You know, if you have 20,000 people and there's only 12 baskets of food left, you know, man, you've done a good job. I mean, that's pretty tight, but still... You know, kind of like if you're a volunteer and sometimes the volunteers that help in a potluck or something uh, or, you know, some, uh, maybe some outreach or something, the volunteers often get to take the food home with them, right? And, uh, you know, that's one of the benefits sometimes of being a volunteer. We don't do it for that reason, but it is kind of a benefit. I can imagine it wasn't lost on them, the fact that starting out that evening, they had nothing, and yet here they were going back home with a basket full of food. I don't know, just... Amazing. 5,000 men, probably 20,000 men, women, women and children all ate, and uh, they went away spiritually and physically fed. And, uh, you know, I think that that's often what happens when God's people get together. You know, we love to have potlucks. We love to listen to the word. And we go away feeling full. Back in 2001, as it all turned out, we did not have to stop anything we were doing in missions as a church at the time. In fact, the Lord allowed us to increase our efforts. The Lord also blessed the pastor's luncheon with Luis Palau as Mission Connection made its debut. Um, it's kind of interesting. That night, that were, the night before the luncheon, I was with my uh, group from the church, but that night there were um, two missionary women in Afghanistan that had been taken uh, captive by the Taliban in August. And uh, right the night before we had that luncheon, these two really uh, beautiful gals, Heather Mercer and Dana Curry, were captured by GI forces that went in and took them. And all of a sudden, they were on the news everywhere. And so the day of the luncheon, we woke up listening to these two girls being, uh, these two missionaries being interviewed. And it was fascinating because as the pastors came into that luncheon, they were all asking the question, why do these people hate us? It was perfect because Luis could just, like, hit a home run. He, Luis used the events of 9-11, September 11th, to remind us that we have to take the gospel to them, just like these two girls were doing. And um, And our retaliation should be as a church, to reposition our resources so that we could get the gospel into the places where uh, these folks were coming from. A couple weeks ago, Tom Hauser stayed overnight with us, and uh, we were chatting. You know, when I started Mission Connection, I think he, uh, he helped me emcee that first event. But we were talking about, you know, 2001, and, um, and we said, you know, it seems like the need for Jesus in his life-giving message is even greater now than it was in 2001. Would you agree? Amen. Mission Connection and People International are so grateful that we've had the opportunity to partner with churches and mobilize workers 
into some of the hardest places needing to hear about Jesus. By God's grace, Mission Connection Northwest has become, by God's grace, a lot of people's praying, the largest annual church mission mobilizing event on the West Coast and the largest church-sponsored event of any kind here in the Portland-Vancouver area. And you know, it never gets any easier. This year, we do not have a venue for our January event, and we're praying. We're behind the eight ball, humanly. But I'll tell you what, I'm taking this message to heart. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to obey the Lord. He may want to, sh- he may, may want to shut down our, our event this year for reasons I don't know. Like I say, he's the CEO I'm just in sales, and that's really all any of us are. We talk about Jesus. We're just promoting and making him famous, not ourselves or our church. We're making Jesus famous. Well, as we've seen in our past this morning, God began to work when the disciples decided to do what he was asking them to do. And I think the Lord can work through you if you decide to act. He then has the freedom to demonstrate his power. Well, in closing, think again over what we learned from Mark chapter 6 this morning, the feeding of the 5,000. You may be like the disciples. You're looking to partner with Jesus and others to make a difference maybe in this community or in this world, in our state. But you're saying to yourself this morning, seriously, you want me, Lord? Wait, What? Keep this in mind. Conditions are never ideal. In other words, the present is always the best time to step out because conditions are never going to be perfect. They're never going to be ideal. And don't be surprised. Jesus always asked the impossible, or at least what seems to be the impossible at the time. But if you, if I, if we obey, he will work through us. If we obey... He will work through us. Can you join me as we close in prayer? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Uh, Lord, um, some of us are struggling with things, uh, like Debbie pointed out, patience, all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of good reasons why we should feel perhaps overwhelmed. And yet, Lord, um, you know, your gospel continues to go forth and um, you still choose to use us no matter how much we don't feel usable. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us by your Holy Spirit just to be open to you, to be willing to take whatever next step you want us to take so that, Jesus, you can be known among the nations. And uh, so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this uh, time today. And... um, We just commit this day, this week to you. We pray for Pastor Ron, Pastor Chris, the other pastors who are away. Pray that you'd give them a rest and uh, allow them to be back uh, next week, uh, refreshed and uh, ready to look at your word again. We bless you, Jesus. Give us a great week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.